You're now experiencing data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Jana Eggers is the CEO of Neurologics, and she's also a self-proclaimed math and computer nerd who took the business path. We had a fascinating conversation about what she's doing uh, with AI at her company and how she's helping uh, enterprise businesses uh, move the needle with their ability to take data and make interesting uh, and useful uh, predictions uh, to better drive business value and customer experience. We're gonna talk a lot about uh, explainable uh, AI in this and how the how powerful uh, it is to provide whys uh, behind predictions when you're uh, delivering those, especially to business stakeholders. We're going to talk about uh, how some of her technology allows companies to um, do what-if simulations, uh, being able to remove features from predictions and rerun them in real time. Uh, there's a, t- a ton of great information in this conversation uh, with Jana, so I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. Uh, I'm happy to have Jana Eggers on the line from Nara Logics. Actually, is it Nara Logics or Nara Logics? How do you guys like to say it? Oh, that's a big one. We get we get uh, Nara all the time, but we do pronounce it Nara, and we also get okay. logistics instead of logics on a regular basis. So it is Nara Logics, but we're okay. <laughs> anyway. Excellent. Well, you are the CEO of this company. You guys uh, work on uh, in the in the AI space, and uh, we met at what the I think it was the IIA symposium, uh, and had a nice dinner there. And I enjoyed our conversation, and and uh, wanted to to bring you on the show a little bit to talk about uh, what you guys are doing uh, at Neurologics, but um, also about um, how we are how we are bridging the gap between some of these technologies that are in place and also how end users are experiencing them. Like how do we make this, how do we make all this technology as easy to use as possible so that business value is actually created? Um, So could you tell us a little bit just about your, you guys are using uh, some interesting technology to make uh, machine learning, as I understand it, predictive uh, intelligence uh, to improve the quality of these outcomes uh, modeled based on how our brains work. Is that correct? Yes. So quickly, we have a platform that is really built for decision support, and decision support can be used in two ways. One is in front of an end user, so usually that's considered personalization, so making sure that information either for their job um, or for an end consumer shows up when they need it, you know, everything from product recommendations to tips on how to use the products that they're doing. Um, and then it's also for decision support. So you're running a large factory. You're now adding many sensors into your process. How do you go from having decision factors around 20 to having about 500 to 2,000 decision factors coming in? And once we get that overload of information, we our, our tool is used 
um, to help people with those decisions. And yes, we're using a different approach um, than traditional neural nets, which is what deep learning is based on. Um, while we use that within our tool, we're more on the cognitive side. So that idea of, okay, I've got a lot of different signals coming in. How do I understand how those signals relate to each other and then make decisions based on that? Yeah, I was, I was reading something on your website and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about it that, and maybe I misunderstood it because my back, background's not on the math side and the engineering side, I, either of those, but it, it sounded like um, your technology is able to to somehow look at recency in a different way and it's able to adjust its its predictions based on uh, maybe information that's happening recently as opposed to kind of like you, you know you picture the, you picture this little information nugget going in the b beginning of the funnel and it goes through the same funnel and spits out on the other end with some you know the data in the funnel right and then the outcome at the other end i'm kind of picturing like oh in, in this case sometimes maybe it drops in the funnel halfway down already or it Maybe that's not the right analogy, but could you talk a little bit about about that? No, I love that you're picking up on that. It's actually, we were just having a conversation with uh, one of our customers early this morning because they're based in Europe. Uh, we were talking about just this and, and we were talking about how things change with the context. And we had shown them basically some sensitivity analysis around that in the, in the immediate context which is really within the minutes and hours right around when they were making a decision. And, and uh, they said, but wait a minute, you're learning from two years of data. Why, why are you emphasizing so much what's happening right now? And we, well, that's, that's what we're showing you is that the context of what's happening now is really impacting what the decision would be if you, if you were really considering all two years and you do wanna still learn from that data, but you have to put those two years in the context of what's actually happening right now. And it's those things that the human brain does really well, which is, wait a second, I need to pull up the information that's um, related to this, but particularly related to this context. So I think you summarized it well. Sometimes, you know, if you, if you think about where it drops in or something, it may feel like it drops in the middle of the, of the funnel. And the reason for that is you've already collected data from those prior steps in the funnel, so you don't have to recollect those. And, and so you're using that to basically pull in the right information at the right time. And that, that's what our secret sauce is, is how to quickly pull together the different pieces of information. In the brain, it's often called chunking. So pull the right chunks together, for my contacts to give me a better result. Interesting. Yeah, I've used the chunking method in teaching music before, but can, can you can you explain, maybe give us a concrete example of how, so first of all, my, my assumption is to, to an end customer, if we're talking about like from an experience standpoint, you probably don't notice any of this. This is probably down in the weeds, right? And you're not supposed to necessarily have to know all of this is going on. Is that a safe assumption, first of all, or not necessarily? Well, I, I we would say no in general, because one of the things that we do that also, you know, stands us apart is that our AI is transparent. Mm -hmm. So meaning that when we provide an answer, we also give the reasons why that is the right answer for this context. Okay. So um, we think it is important uh, to uh, know, you don't necessarily know what calculation has to happen, but really to know what was taken into account and, and what factors weigh more heavily in this context than other contexts. So, so 
kind of yes and kind of no to answer your question. We're not meaning to confuse people, but we do want to point them in the right direction so they have um, confidence in the answers that are being given. Yeah, I actually wanted to jump into kind of the explainable AI space. Um, we, we were emailing about that. Um, and you may have answered my question already. I, I guess what I was thinking of when you were talking about things like product recommendations, there's probably a level of detail that you have to choose to surface based on who your customer is, right? Like I'm, I'm guessing if you're recommending a, a lipstick color to someone that maybe the, the explanation of why isn't as in-depth as it might be for your factory floor. So is this something where there's uh, you can kind of determine the amount of explainability that that is provided with any of the recommendations that come back kind of based on what's needed by that particular user? Clearly, Brian, you don't wear lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing lipstick at this time, nor have I ever consciously worn it <laughs> or put it on myself. Maybe my wife's put it on my cheek before, maybe, but... <laughs> That is an important decision. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, we may not get into the, you know, uh, it, life safety issues with lipstick, although sometimes it can feel that way um, <laughs> uh, uh, with, with lipstick. But that said, you know, yes, to your point, um, you don't do all of the factors, but you want to see the major factors. And honestly, even with lipstick, wanting to see, um, you know, why this color is the right one right now, which may be different in the summer. It may be different based on your, um, the outfit that you're wearing. Um, that can actually sway your decision too, right? It's like, oh, I didn't realize that that color and that color actually would clash. And it was something I hadn't um, paid attention to, or I hadn't paid attention that my skin is getting more tan over the summer or something like that. So I, I do think that oftentimes, even those little hints, um, that, that are the drivers can help us a lot. I think on the factory floor, obviously, if you're talking um, about something like 2,000 factors, yes, you want to um, roll them up and you also want to chunk them. And, and as you said, you know, you do chunking in, in the music. And so that does help people, the granularity of what you show, but then also giving them the ability to drill down. So another example is that... Um, we do work in the in the federal government space and which equipment something is measured from matters. But you don't have to say, well, it was this camera that's installed on this equipment and it has this lens um, capability, right? At first, you just say it's the satellite and, and this is the one that's reading that. And anybody that has questions and they want to make sure that, well, does this satellite actually... Um, have the resolution that I need to make this type of decision, you can drill down on that and make sure that that's there if you have questions. Otherwise, if you don't, you know, you you trust that the machine has that. And some people have that kind of knowledge to drill down and, and other people don't. And so, and they wouldn't, by the way, if they were making the decision without this recommendation. One of the things that's interesting to me here is like when you talked about the I'm curious about the before after experience. Like when we talk about this factory floor example, where I'm picturing the old way was maybe there's like, I use my hunches and my guesses from being on the floor a long time, coupled with some, maybe you have some telemetry coming off the hardware and it was, you know, thrown into Tableau or something. And you can see like, how many times did the machine stamp the the metal in the last hour, right? And is it higher than lower than it used to be? So you and then you kind of put together all this stuff in, in your head and you try to deduce 
should I change it to seven or leave it at eight? You know, <laughs> change the knob. And now the new way is you feed all this stuff into your, your model and it, it creates uh, a predictive output. So what is that before and after like, especially when you go from something where there's, you know, the, the number of factors you're considering is maybe in the teens or something and you, you jump up to 2000, like for the customer, um, both, both the business consumer, but also maybe the line worker or the, whoever the person would be like, maybe you can tell us a little bit about who the actual receiver of the intelligence is that you guys provide, but what is that before after like, and, and what's the problem you have to solve for them to get right in order for them either to try is, is just providing the explainability. Uh, is that how you build the trust there? Is there a, a bigger gap that you have to kind of close with the technology that goes beyond just, just have faith that it works. Just, you know, it's really smart. Like what's that before after like? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and uh, yeah, it is extremely unusual. And, and I can even say that I've uh, never really seen it that people just say that people who have been doing this job for a while, to your point, someone that has had to have been making this decision in the past, that they will just say, okay, I trust the machine. I'm comfortable with that. You know, it knows more than me. Um, so, so that's really unusual. Um, the only time I've seen that is when you're really doing something new and, and no one there has any idea what it should be. And, and honestly, in those cases, we really push to how do we define a gold set? What, you know, what are we measuring against? So, so those type of situations, even then we look to see how we can build metrics. But let's go to the more normal case, which is people have been making these decisions and how do they decide um, that the machine is actually um, taking into account more than they can take into account. And part of it is our transparency. So those why reasons definitely have an impact. And they'll look at them and say, Oh, but it shouldn't be counting that because I know that sensor's offline. It can be that sense, you know, that simple of um, you know the the sensors out of whack. And what's great is we actually give the ability for someone to say, "Oh, that why reason? Ignore that," and then they can reprocess and see if that impacts what um, you know the decisions, the, the decision support that we're giving, what options they have. Oh, and so cool. that ability to interact and drill down, like I said before. So if somebody looks at that and says, I, I don't think that satellite is capable of that level of reading that's needed for the accuracy for that decision, we can back up and say, okay, let's drill down on that and let's see. And, and, and it's not unusual that the person says, oh, I didn't realize that one had that, right? And so they, they, um, that ability to allow them to apply their knowledge but to see the data that's represented is really a big point to, to them saying, okay, I'm, I'm starting to trust this. And um, that's the direction that we're generally going. So it usually is someone that's making this decision now when you ask who is it, who is making this decision now. And typically those people are already struggling with, how do I incorporate this data? And what's happening most often, I, I'll say this one thing, sorry, I know I'm going on too long, but no, what, what's, happening <laughs> what, what's happening most of the time is that um, each of these different new streams of information are starting to be analyzed on their own. And the, the problem with that is, uh, you know, the, the whole is really greater than the sum of the parts. 
And so if you're just doing an analysis on this new, you know, um, uh, uh, flow sensor that's coming in and what you're doing is you're noticing when that flow gets disrupted. Well, that can give you a lot of false positives as an example. Yeah, it's disrupted, but we already knew that because, you know, we, we turned this down over here and that's actually as expected, right? And so we need to be looking at these systems as being very interconnected systems, which is what our system does is it's bringing together different streams, oftentimes at different granularity, different time rates, different types of information. How do you marry all of that to give the context of what's happening now so that I know that the flow going below normal in that sensor is perfectly fine because of the other things that are happening around it. Right. Yeah. I, I worked on a, I worked on several applications in the IT space in this and and we would refer to that did root cause analysis. And so we would, we kind of came up with this idea of referring to things as um, abnormally critical and normally critical because at certain times of day, you know, you might be running a, a backup job, right? And so the, you know, the IO is going crazy and maybe the latency is higher, but it's supposed to be that way, right? So how do you, how do you knock down that signal and not throw, throw up all the red flags, light up the dashboard, when it's supposed to be that way, right? So learning these things and so that the real signal can come out, right? Because otherwise it's just, <laughs> you're back to throwing all these, you know, throwing all this stuff in front of the customer and then they have to go through and try to figure out which signal is actually meaningful, uh, you know, and, and crawl through all of that. So is it, yeah, it kind of like that? Exactly. And the other big problem that people have is, you know, these sensors are new. And so they don't have two years worth of data mm -hmm. to train a traditional neural net on. And so that's another thing that we deal with often is, hey, in some cases, I have three years worth of data running off this sensor, running off transactions that I have, whatever it is. And in other cases, it's brand new and I have, you know, less than three days. And so how do I, you know, account and balance for that? That's another place that we're inspired by the brain because our brain is actually really good at that. I mean, it, we could argue about how good it is, right? <laughs> but, but we're often looking for, huh, I've got this new type of information that I'm getting in, right? How do I balance that with all of my knowledge of, of something, um, how do I learn to play music when I've never played music before, but I have listened to music. Mm -hmm. um, there's some analogies that I can draw from that. And, and that's the type of thing that we're trying to do with our system is, is figuring out the balance that we have um, and can leverage for our system. Is it ever difficult for the, the, the end user of these services to understand the explainability that's being provided with the predictions or are they a part of creating the the why did it do this here here's you know eight bullets on why it did it are they part of the language and the presentation of what comes back such that it like especially if you're talking to someone that had internal knowledge right the guy the, the factory worker who's done this for 30 years and has a lot of knowledge in their head about these systems is it are they like part of that design experience so that it looks familiar to them when it comes back or is it something where you have to kind of iterate through to figure out if they can understand the signals that are that are coming back yeah it, it's some of both right uh -huh. they're they're absolutely involved and it's an iterative process <laughs> so so you know think of it as a normal product management process where 
you know, you're getting a prototype out there, you're showing it to people, you're talking to them about what, you know, one of the things we do is work very hard to get things into what we call our connectome, which is, you know, roughly our knowledge graph. I'm going to use that term, but I always hate to because there's also things that are very different from a traditional knowledge graph. But, you know, get our knowledge graph going very quickly and then be able to show them some of the answers so that they can react to it. Because until you see it, it's really hard to create it in your mind. And so that, that, that is absolutely an iterative process that we work on and think of it more of, you know, starting with, a, with an MVP and iterating from there and giving them the tools and flexibility. Our, our platform has the ability for, um, you know, not end users, but systems users to define that. Um, uh, that kind of language and what levels and, and we're still building out, you know, we're, we're also a startup, so we're still building out functionality, but it is, it's a great question because we've learned from customers that that, that is absolutely necessary, both granularity as well as, um, uh, and the ability to iterate to provide more clarity based on the particular problem that we're solving. Is there a particular anecdote or story? Like you said, you, you've definitely learned something there. Can you can you share one of these learnings that you've had, or maybe maybe you, I don't know, you displayed something that was came across strangely, or was misunderstood, or maybe it caused a problem, and you learned something from that experience and how you changed it. Is, is there anything that pops in your mind? Well, one one thing that's quick and easy for everyone to understand. So Procter and Gamble is very public about their work with us. Great, we're grateful for that. So we work with them on several things, but one of them is the Ole Skin Advisor. And there was lots of discussions about um, on the whys, do we show her, because um, it's normally a, a female user, do we show her um, answers that she gave us? Like she told us um, uh, that she likes things feeling light as air on her skin. And the question was, well, she knows that she told us that, so why are we giving that as a why? And and so there was an internal debate about that, not just internal to us, but with Procter um, Procter and Gamble and the Olay team. And um, uh, one of the things, and we came out clearly from customers, they actually liked seeing even answers that they directly gave because they knew that the machine took it into account. Right, right. How did they? How did they find that? We were testing the whys, so we were actually testing what showed up for customers and at what level. And mm -hmm. it wasn't that every answer showed up as every um, as a why for everything, because some of the answers didn't impact everything that we were showing. Mm -hmm. But we were surprised that it wasn't just you know what's considered an inferred connection, so something that we um, you know stepped to from the answers that were given. But we were surprised at how many people said. I know I gave you that answer, but I like seeing where it applied, right? Got it. And so that was very interesting to us. Of if, when you talk about granularity, a lot of things, a lot of people think, well, show me the things that I didn't know of, right? And I, I think one of the things that is important and that we learned with that is that we verify the things that the customer thinks should be there are there. Is that typically a a, like a space that you know that you need to go every time you guys take on a new client or a project that that's that's part of your standard process is that there's going to be this gap and we have to understand what needs to be there and why it needs to be there is like is that just the standard part of the process yes 
which is why we make it easy to change. Right, right. <laughs> so, and you mentioned this a few times, so I'm wanting to unpack this a little bit. I, is is your uh, the intelligence behind the, the 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 systems that you guys use and the uh, is it manifested into a software application that you guys then customize for each customer, or are you more providing you know API hooks and then the 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 client is is responsible or can pull in that information however they want into whatever tool like I'm, I'm, help help me picture help us picture how it's actually experienced by either like obviously the Olay skin advisor we can that's probably through a web interface on a public website right but maybe the factory like what would the factory experience be like Who, who's looking at what in order to receive this uh, this information that's coming from you guys Right, and it's the latter rather than the former. So we are an API-based platform, and okay. so in that in that way, think of us like Twilio, right? Then they do the communications for most of the applications that you use, and they do that by just calling their APIs for you know click to talk or something like that from from within an application or text or whatever it is. So so just like with um, Ole Skin Advisor, we didn't build the Skin Advisor. We just built the intelligence behind the skin advisor. And the same thing on, on the factory system, you know, they already had a dashboard. They're not going to completely replace that dashboard. They're not going to make their um, uh, plant managers sign into another solution. Right. What they're going to do now is, you know, put another panel in that dashboard, probably replacing a few others. That 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 now says, hey, here are the top three things you should pay attention to, and so that's normal. Now we do have some basic interfaces um, that we definitely had some people uh, use. Usually, that's kind of an interim. Like, wow, we did this proof of concept, and the proof of concept went so well that we want to start using it now. And you know, there's seven people that are going to use this, not eight hundred or a thousand, right? Mm -hmm. Or millions, as in the case of, of um, Olay, and and for that, actually, we're just okay with them logging into in directly into this system, getting some answers and and going. And like I said, usually that's something that's six months to a year um, in terms of timeline uh, that they would do that, and then while they're getting it integrated into their system, does and. You mentioned how you can um, you could turn off some of the 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 whys that came back and rerun. So, I, does it go beyond uh, turning on and off the signals, or is there any type of like capability for like what if analysis? Like, you know, clearly yeah. I need to change the flow rate, but should it be eighty two or should it be eighty seven? And what's the impact going to be? Is this does this allow you to run those predictions as well with with more than just on off? Yes. How cool is that? Yes. How does yes. the and you can do you can do A B testing on our platform. So uh -huh. even things like if you want to adjust weights, like, hey, I think this is gonna be more important or less important and I just wanna check out something with weight or or something like I even wanna test the whys with end consumers, right? Mm -hmm. See which one incents someone to um, to even buy more. Um, we actually have the capability now and it, it, uh, the capability to do AD testing. 
I want to be clear, we also easily integrate if you already have built in your product, which is not unusual too, particularly on consumer products. If you already have, you know, like Adobe's test suite built in, we fit in right with that because right, it's just another API call. And so with the API call, I, I, I say which one that I'm going to, and then um, those different results can be measured. But we built that in because we also have found that a lot of customers, again, as they're just starting out with prototyping with AI, it's still new. And so um, while we didn't build out a full test suite the way that an Adobe has, we do have simple functionality to allow people to do some more what ifs. And then we have that real-time capability. And to your point, if you want to completely say, okay, what if my reality is very different than I think it is? You know, what, how, how would it change the answer and do comparisons that way? Is there any particular risks or challenges in terms of, uh, the integration part between not not so much the technical ability to to access the the capabilities of the API, but in terms of the making sure that there's actually a a positive outcome, there's business value created, there's a good experience. Is there any places where that maybe doesn't go so well between the either the, I'm assuming it's a internal engineering group that uh, or product group that would be uh, utilizing the APIs or maybe they have, is it a third party engineering company or something like that that's providing the actual application uh, that sits, that's going to access your APIs? Like what's, I'm just curious about that integration and if it's ever uh, a challenge. Um, I mean, most of the time people are already working, either they have their own internal um, resources, like I said, mm-hmm. you know, a, a factory dashboard is usually built by someone. It's either built by their internal resources or they do have an outsourced firm. If you, um, it, you know, if Procter & Gamble, I know they release this publicly. Sometimes they work with agencies. Sometimes they work with outsourced development and they have their own in-source development group. So, it really depends on the project and the customer and mm-hmm. kind of where they are. But most people don't have it. This isn't a new thing. Um, they were already doing some of this, um, not with AI, but with statistical approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and I, I want to be fair, you know, we're working with very large companies. So none of these are, um, you know, smaller or mid-sized companies that maybe don't have that access right now. Um, these are really very large companies that this is a pretty much a standard um, to them. And I, I think you're seeing more of that. I mean, you know, this is why uh, Salesforce paid, you know, huge amount, huge numbers to somebody like MuleSoft, right? Is companies are realizing I have to have some of these resources available, again, whether in sourced or outsourced, to move my data around so that I can really leverage the value of that data. Are you often selling into a a data science group? And is it something where maybe they don't have the capacity to do what you can do or the way you do it? Or is it more a business group pulls you in because they don't have internal data science? You're probably going to say it's a mix of those, but I'm just curious how much like the internal data team um, beyond being a data provider to you uh, in terms of the science and intelligence part? Are it, how, how, do, how do you guys work together? And who is calling? Who picks up the phone? 
Yeah, it is a mix as to who is actually heavily involved in the project, but it's not a mix. Every single company we work with has data scientists. They have some form of engineers, whether they're, you know, systems engineers or software engineers, that that varies. Um, but, you know, so this is really what, you know, is considered a multi-buyer complex cell, right? Because I've got a technical cell, I've got an end user cell, and that end user can be a literal end user, or a data science person, and, uh, and, and I've got my business side um, and financial. So, so, you know, how much is this valued in the company and how much does it cost? So we've got all of those aspects playing. Um, usually, if data science is heavily involved, it's because we offer a capability that they don't want to spend the time. You know, this isn't something that, um, as a company, they want to value to do. So I'll give you a direct example. And again, it's because... Um, Parker & Gamble has been public about this. We have other customers that are very similar. The um, AI that was developed for Ole Skin Advisor that does the image recognition and actually looks, it determines my skin age, and then it looks and says, okay, for that skin age, you know, her crow's feet are great or they're bad, right? And so, so that was something that was um, very close to what uh, Procter & Gamble values as, as part of their contribution. Like they need to understand skin really, really well. And they did go and look to see if there were parties that would be doing that type of thing that did it as well as they could themselves. And it was, you know, a, a machine learning and data scientist group that developed that um, uh, visual ID system. And then they said, okay, and now for pulling together all of the signals that we have about our products and, and product grouping and things like that, and to put that in the context of this user, that's a, a you know, decision support or, or, you know, more targeted re recommendation engine. And they went and looked at recommendation engines and ours had flexibility and capabilities, including the Ys that they didn't find in others, which is why they used it. But they said, you know, we don't feel like that kind of recommendation capability is something that we need to own and develop ourselves. So that is a really good example of something that um, happens on a regular basis. So let's back back out and talk about in the, in the um, plant production process engineering space where we have several customers, you know, oftentimes if they're dealing with, um, uh, raw materials or chemicals that they work with, they have some specialty in that. And so the analysis of the quality of what's coming out in different parts and stages, that analysis is very important to them. And they spend a lot of resources on their data science to do that. Now, the analysis of how do I bring together all of those signals and react to that in context is not something often that they have capabilities of doing mm -hmm. or feel like they need to build out that quality specifically for them. And so that again is it's a it's a different use case, but it really is the same type of decision that they're making, which is A, I don't need to build it myself, and B, I don't have a reason to build it myself. So why wouldn't I use a tool for that? I see, I see. The and is that 
how much are, for example, in that case where you, you have these other data science teams involved, I would imagine they're, they're probably heavily part of your sales process and talking to the business about the value of these things, or is that not necessarily true? Um, so, so it, again, it depends on the group. Uh-huh. So sometimes data science is like, look, I've got way too much to do. There's no way I can help you on this. Mm-hmm. And so they'll kind of come in and, and usually do some uh, tests, you know, like, okay, do I believe what they say? You know, they'll come in and help somebody analyze it or, or something like that. But they're not as heavily involved in the definition of what's trying to be accomplished. That's usually on the business side. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll do some of the vetting and, and questioning and poking, poking at, at what we're doing. Um, and sometimes through that, they're like, Hey, I think I could use this for this other problem that I have. Can we talk about that? Is the, is having, is having the wise and the explainability, uh, capability in your platform, is that a high medium or low driver? Do you think of your sales and your, your, your success? Like how, how much is that important to the client or are they more just like, is that like, I didn't know you could do that. That's, that's a nice, it's like gravy. They didn't you know, they weren't thinking it was going to be there, but it was a nice uh, delighter. Can you talk about like the importance of that or not? Yeah, it, 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 it's kind of think of it as bookends. Mm-hmm. So it absolutely in kind of the front end phase, it's something that people worry about as far as explainability. So mm-hmm. in, in, in attraction, people are, are usually like, okay, we've got to try this ML thing and explain. I like the fact that you're talking about explainability and other people that I talk to aren't right. Or they, they talk about it, but they don't really have a, a plausible answer for how they're going to get there. Mm -hmm. So that's at the very front end in the middle, it becomes a lot less important because all they care about there is the result. So if we can't get better results, even if we have explainability, it doesn't matter right. at all. So the middle chunk of, you know, the books between the bookends, <laughs> that, right. it, it, it is highly unusual that that's the reason. Then at the end where they're like, okay, you can get me better results. This is, this really matters. Then they focus again on the whys. So, so it, it's, you know, the duration of the whys is not as much as the duration of getting to the right results. Mm-hmm. But they're actually it's the beginning and the end of the project where where they're where they're key. So our you know in in order of it, we have three things that we taught most and that's our differentiators to customers. First is we can produce better results. They love that. They think it's great. And the context is a is a big differentiator for them. Mm-hmm. Second, we have the the transparency and explainability so that they can literally see everything that happens if they want to drill down that much, right? But they also have that more rolled up view of, of explainability. And then the third thing is that quick and easy way to add on new data and not have to wait five years um, for five years of it to, to be significant. And so that that ease of integration. And now I want to add this new sensor. I want to upgrade this sensor. And when I upgrade it, by the way, it has different capabilities than what it was before, right? So that ability um, is the third thing that our customers come to us for. So those are really the three key differentiators and reasons why people choose us. And it's really in that order, even though, like I said, most people kind of 
start with us because they know that they'll need the explainability. So it usually comes up in the beginning, then it goes away for a while, then it comes back at the end. Got it. And how is just a little tangent here, but I'm curious how, what is the experience like for, uh, when you talked about being able to add uh, uh, a new uh, factor or measurement that's going to go into the system and and be part of the be part of the um, the decisions that come out. So I'm I'm picturing like for example the the Hershey Kiss, right? It's being made in a factory. There's the chocolate. You've got the little chrome, the tin wrapper, and you got the little piece of white paper. So let's say, hey, for the first time, we're we're installing a camera at the phase where the the little white piece of paper goes into the kiss. We've never had that before, and we we want to make sure that the paper sticks right up like straight straight up to the sky right that's how it should be and we've never been able to measure that so they install a camera in now what like is that is that how much are you guys in the loop is this like a like what what's the capability of being able to add a measurement uh, like that or maybe you can give give us a more realistic example if that's a bad one i, I always like visual ones <laughs> <laughs> no i like it because i like thinking about the hershey's kisses um so <laughs> we yeah. got lipstick we got kissing like <laughs> i'm gonna get flagged as a parental advisor on this episode and itunes probably <laughs> I know, and shame on me for not getting that. That that was right. a that was a very good link. Yeah. Um, it's it's a great it's a great question, and 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 something we do talk to customers now. How much do we have to be involved? It really depends on the customer. So we have some customers. Um, so I mentioned we work with government. We have some government customers that we can't even look at the data that that they're you know we we can't know that they're interested in that piece of paper sticking straight up right. Got it. Um, and and so what happens then is they'll often come to us and say, "Hey, I have this analogy, right?" And uh-huh. and and they kind of and they're used to that because they can't often even talk to their colleagues about what they're doing, right? Because right. you have this need to know on on so much national security information fairly. And so they're used to doing that kind of translation and saying, if I were thinking of this, what would I do? And then they can go do that all themselves. Um, We have other customers that are right in between where it's like they could do it themselves, but they like the backup (laughs) of, of, of us saying, oh, you know, look at this or consider this or think about it this way. Um, and then whether we implement it or they do, it really depends on how, how, um, intense it is. Um, and then we have other customers that look at us and say, Hey, I, I, I need that done. You know, you guys tell me what it's going to cost and, and do that. And, and we have very few of those just because that's not, we're not set up to be a services company. Mm-hmm. We are working on some relationships to where we could turn and look at someone and say, Hey, you guys. Usually what we're doing is talking with their internal resources about how to do it. Then the problem comes in if they don't have the internal resources that have the bandwidth to do it, you know, who does it? And that that's still what we're trying to figure out. But it, it's really across the range. And and what what very much happens, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a fine, like you said, visual example. What very much happens is how do we how do we train that data? How do we see the features? that determine if that's 
sticking up straight or not. It's really the features that get fed into, into our system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when do we need to say, Hey, slow that down. You know, we are, we're noticing when the flow is this much, they tend to not be positioned correctly. Um, but when the flow is this much, it's fine. And so that's the type of thing that we would start saying is, you know, quality on, on, you know, the, the kiss paper, is is going down and that feature is going down so what do we know from the past what can we learn to say what how do we adjust for that got it got it wow this this is a great i love this conversation i've, I've totally learned a ton I, I we have to wrap up here soon but i i had a couple other questions that were more kind of like state of the state of the market kind of stuff so i i came across this uh data science survey that was taken and i was curious if you experience this either with with neurologics um, or just you're you're smelling the same thing here, but um, two of the challenges that data scientists were saying that they were having from from a non technical types of issues at least uh, data science results not used by the decision makers. So which I implied to mean um, we did all this work and then the people that were supposed to be our internal customers don't actually leverage it. So is that does that sound familiar to you? Something that you've heard before? And can you talk about why, why you think that is? Yeah, I, I think the challenge is that it's really easy, particularly with big data, to um, not believe the results. <laughs> you know, they're hard to understand. We even face that here. We have a, an ongoing discussion. I've been here for almost five years now about how, so, so we call, remember where at, when I said, I hate to call it dust, but it's the closest thing that people understand is we call um, uh, our, our knowledge graph that we build a, of customers' data, we call that a connectome because um, in your brain, your connectome is the wiring diagram of your, of your neurons. And so we're inspired by biology, so we call it a connectome. And we talk on a regular basis of, how do you visualize the connectome? And it's really hard because it's a lot of data in there. And I, and I think that's the challenge that people have is they go do these big projects, but how do you, how do you help people conceptualize what you're delivering and give them the ability to um, question and communicate with it even? Because when they look at it, oftentimes those results, they're not going to believe them because it goes against their intuition. And I, I think that's where people run into the most problems is, is with that type of situation. And, and I think it's more of a communication thing. Um, you're so deep in it as a data scientist, you know the math and what you're not realizing is who your customer is. Uh, does this tie into, well, maybe you tell me the second, one of the second things I wanted to ask you about from the same survey here was, um, and again, this, I think this is the Kaggle machine learning and data science survey from 2017, but the, another one was managing expectations about data science initiatives is difficult. Um, so like, which I implied to mean business stakeholders have, you know, inflated expectations around what AI and machine learning can do, for example. So is this. Is it tied in at all to to the expectation piece too about what what's going to come back? Like, okay, here's here's two million dollars in six months. Go show me some magic, you know, and come back with something. Is it is it tied to that, or is it is because there's an understandable. The first thing you talked about was more about the understand understandability and the believability part, right? Versus the going in with the the a, a business person going in with the assumption that 
I am going to see something unbelievable come back. Like to me, that those are different a little bit. Yeah, I, I love what you said there because I actually, um, they may say they want something unbelievable to come back, but when, then when something unbelievable comes back, they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so you yeah. have this, this, uh, you know, non virtuous cycle, um, where it doesn't help you because they look at that and go, it doesn't make sense. Well, wait a second. You wanted something unbelievable and magic. And now, you know, do you understand magic? Uh, right. right. <laughs> so, so I think that's a challenge. One of the things that I do recommend for people is that they actually start in a place they've already been using statistics because as humans, we're not so great about probabilities. And at least if they've started applying some statistical methods, um, they started thinking more about the different probabilities and, and impacts that they could have. So, um, so yeah, it's a really hard thing to do. And particularly when you're a data scientist and you're, you're coming from this um, math background and, and people don't understand the coolness of the math methods. Um, I do say, you know, AI isn't magic, it's just math. And then some people argue and say, oh, but math is magic. And it's like, yeah, well, that's part of the problem is that we present it that way. And it's actually not. It's a complication. Um, and it's some really cool ways of getting it. I mean, I'm a mathematician. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all for mathematicians are amazing. That said, I think we all do ourselves a disservice. By saying that it's magic, we can, we get excited about the magic of math, but we also have to make that relatable to people and not let them feel like, oh, wait a second, that's just an illusion. It's not real. So how do we bridge that gap and help people understand it's not an illusion? It's actually really real. And there's some great value in this data that is so big, it's very difficult to conceptualize. And together we have to work in, in giving faith to, to, that, um, to that expression of the data. And do you think there's a particular skill set that's needed to, to do that? Like if, if you were, so if you were suffering from that problem, if you're working uh, you know, on data products or you're a data scientist or you're in that space, like what is that skill set that I would need to increase in order to have more success is it, is it storytelling? Is it, is it like, what, what, what do you think that is? How, how do you get better at help, helping get the, the team's head around it or your stakeholders head around something this big? Yeah. Story, storytelling is a great example. And, and I do think that that's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I also think it's a collaboration thing, you know, just like with, with um, software engineering in general, you know, we learned that having what used to be a marketer, you know, before the days of having product managers, because I'm that old, that, you know, we used to have a marketer that developed an MRD, a marketing requirement stock, and basically threw it over the wall to engineers who were supposed to develop it without, you know, really understanding or collaborating. And, and so now we have, you know, product managers, and we have designers, and we have um, engineers, and it, it, it's generally understood, although not well practiced, to be fair, that those three people work together to develop the best product. And what I tell people is now you have a fourth person to add there to your triad, you're adding a fourth, which is a data scientist. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's not just up to data scientists, 
it's also up to product managers and engineers and and uh, and and design UX people to actually bring that together and build the full story of how the product and you know I'm using the term loosely product you're offering your service whatever it is is actually incorporating that data learning from that data and and continuing to improve from that data mm-hmm. which is not you know something I talk about is if you look at our our um, cycle before we had you know come up with an idea build what out your idea in an MVP format and then test it right and so you would cycle through that now the ideas a lot of times are coming from data and then going up to the idea stage then building a product around that then learning from that data again and so you're at a kind of a different starting point mm-hmm with your product in that you're starting with data that you used to have to create a product to start getting. And, and that, that's where um, there's some differences coming in and, and that you all need to do it. It's not up to one person. It's really up to everyone to understand what the value is for that uh, within whatever offering it is that you're doing. I hope that helped. Yeah. And well, it's, you, you've basically summed up that, like, I can't just live in the closet and do my math and, and, <laughs> and hope that everyone's going to see the value of it. It's kind of the same for a lot of, anytime we're building these complex tools and services for people, when there's people and what I call, you know, human in the loop applications, right? Like you probably are going to have to go engage with other humans, like whether it's customers or actually your teammates or whatever, but you need to get out, get out of that and, and, and that's definitely part of making sure that you're successful, I think. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Exactly. This is not the case of just build a model and they will use it, right? right. It, yes. It's like, what does that model do? How does it respond in this context? All of, all of that adds up. Right, right. <clears throat> well, this has been awesome. I love the conversation. I just, last, any parting words or any closing advice you might have for, you know, business leaders trying to jump into this space or, or leverage some of these technologies, what, what they might want to watch out for. Just, I, I think you've given us a, a ton of great things to think about, but wanted to just give you a chance to have a closing word. So the, the closing word that I give is AI isn't just about the algorithm. Um, so it's about the data, which you've probably heard and the bias be into it, but it's also about the results you're trying to give. And I, I talk about AI's trinity being the data, the algorithm and the results you're trying to drive. And anytime you change any of that, you have to rethink. And so that's the one thing is, really understand that AI is the combination of those three things that cannot be separated. The second thing is AI is about learning and iterating. So, so you really need to set up a, a situation where you're not just going to develop an AI, put it into place and never think about it again. This is really very much of how do we learn and improve? And, and what I'm excited about that is that I think it will turn us all into learning organizations, which is a great thing. It means that we're going to continue to grow and, and um, you know, figure out new things and new paths as we get more data in. But that's a transition because most of us aren't. Most of us are, are in a fixed mindset rather than a growth mindset, if you go by that um, uh, terminology. Uh, I typically go by the uh, Peter Sandy's uh, learning organization terminology, which I like. And so that that's where, where I think we're going and you have that opportunity, but you have to learn how to do that. Wow. Well, thank you. This that's like, I know that's stuff. like a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Right? You should totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm rereading a, uh, 
I forget, was it lean UX or not? No, it's a, uh, I can't remember the process, but the, 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 the it's a well-known book. I'm going to, I feel silly now, but the point being the, the, are we learning right when we, when we either roll out features or we want to put something into our product or service and measuring whether or not you're learning something as opposed to just Ooh. like, did, did the metrics go up and to the right? Right. Like, because you don't I know, know, I know they, 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 yeah, sorry. I know they, um, they cover that in lean analytics. That's yeah. So, and they probably do in lean UX too. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the, the, the book, but yeah, it doesn't matter. I think we're on the same page about what the, wh- whoever wrote the books about these things, right? Like the, 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 the wisdom is sound regardless. So, um, wow. Well, Jana, thank you for coming on the show. This has been great. It's been Jana Eggers, CEO of NARA Logics. Um, I'll, I'll put uh, your link to uh, your site in there, but I know you're on Twitter. Is there anywhere else? Like what's your Twitter handle? I'll put that in the, in the show notes. I'm at Jeggers, J-E-G-G-E-R-S. Awesome. And uh, any other place uh, people might want to learn more about uh, what you are doing or what your company is doing? No, those are, those are the main ones. Okay, cool. Well, I will drop those in the show notes so people can learn more about you guys and what you're doing. And uh, thanks for coming on Experiencing Data. It's been a great conversation. Brian, it was so much fun. What great questions. And I, I look forward. I hope we get some feedback. Cool. Me too. All right. Well, cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.